This is FemPower Health. Each week, top women's health experts dispel fact from fiction. The most important pelvic floor exercise is not the Kegel. Challenge the status quo. It's never easy to challenge the accepted leaders, and especially if you're a woman. Provide perspective on why your healthcare journey may be so tough. All of that fear and worry, it all upregulates our nervous system, puts us into fight or flight mode, and increases our pain sensitivity. And what you can do about it. The number one thing is you have to advocate for yourself, and you have to be prepared. Your journey to get empowered starts now. In today's episode, I interview Barb Kalora, who runs Resolve, the National Infertility Association. And we are here to talk about funding those expensive infertility treatments. We dive deep into insurance coverage, as well as state mandates, and alternative ways to fund the treatments. You can check out the show notes for a link to my shop where I have all the products that are discussed in my podcast, as well as my Instagram link, because I do post a lot of things on Instagram I don't have time to cover in these episodes. And of course, if you do like this podcast, please do rate it and write a review so we can ensure it shows up at the top of the playlist for the women who need it most. And without further ado, let's talk to Barb. Resolve, the National Infertility Association, we are what's called a patient advocacy organization. Uh, We're a nonprofit 501c3 charitable organization. Okay, what does all that mean? It means that um, we are here to take care of people who are struggling to build a family. So patient advocacy organizations you know them, everybody knows them. It's things like Alzheimer's Association, American Diabetes, the American Heart Association, American Cancer Society. We are actually just like all of those types of organizations. We focus on a few key areas. We were founded on support. Um, Our founder, uh, Barbara Eck, she started Resolve around her kitchen table. We still, 40 some years later, you know, we still have these support groups meeting um, every month. Pre-COVID, we had, gosh, a couple hundred, maybe 250 support groups that met every single month across the country. Since COVID hit, we have a lot of those groups that have gone virtual and those hosts are still doing them. And then Resolve, um, our, our staff here at Resolve has added some national virtual support groups through Zoom. And we're doing those a couple times a month. So we do support, um, emotional support. We are very big in public awareness, doing this podcast and talking to you and and raising um, awareness. We talk to the media all the time. We started something called National Infertility Awareness Week in 1989. And then it became a federally recognized health observance. So now every year, the last week of April, Everybody is, uh, is thinking about raising awareness about infertility. And then obviously we do a lot with education and information. We have a fantastic website. People just, you know, it it's, doesn't have any ads on it. It's not commercialized. It's, um, you know, very objective. And then advocacy, which I know we're going to talk a little bit about more here. But when you think about advocacy, it's everything from changing policies to finding your voice and learning how to really talk about infertility and, and raising your voice and encouraging people to do that. It's kind of funny, Georgie, because 
when I started at Resolve, gosh, I started on the staff in like 2004, 2004. And I remember having a conversation with a volunteer and I said, you know, you don't need to share your story. Resolve's got your back. Like you just do what you need to do and no one's going to force you. And, you know, people aren't comfortable sharing their story. And I look back on that now and I'm like, oh my goodness, I can't believe I actually said that because our messaging and, and what we know to be true is, is we need people to raise their voice. We need people to share. We need people to blog. We need people to tweet about it. We need people to share with their friends and family. My goodness, if people aren't doing that, we're never going to get anywhere. So, um, so really empowering people to raise their voice and share their story, however that may be, um, wherever that may lead, we, we want to see it help the community as a whole and, and us move forward. Yeah, no, I completely agree with you. I mean, my goodness, my journey was around 2010 to 2014. And I got pregnant at the very end of 2014, December, very end of December, like literally the end. I remember the way it was then for me, at least is I'm very open about things, but the way I would do it is I'd kind of have a pseudo statement that I would make with somebody. And then we'd kind of give each other the look. And then I knew they either knew someone or they were going through it. And what was so scary is I, everyone either knew someone or was going through it. And quite honestly, it was through that, that I figured out how to resolve my own situation to finally be able to get pregnant. And it was through this client who happened to, you know, need the same support that I did. It worked out. And, you know, now it's all over social media. I know that's hasn't been that long ago. My son is five and a half. And I'm like, what a transformation. I know. What a difference. What a difference. I mean, I started at Resolve in 2004. As I said, I went through my own infertility journey before that. And where, you know, where we've come, it's just extraordinary. It's funny because I think about 1989 Resolve starting National Infertility Awareness Week. And I bet you they didn't get a media hit. I bet you there wasn't a single article. And, you know, last year, I think it was 2020, 2019 and 2020 were really big years for, for National Infertility Awareness Week. But 2019, gosh, every morning, Good Morning America ran a story. Today, she ran a story like three days that week. I was like, oh my God. You know, we were like, oh yeah, ho-hum. And you know, it, it was so normal. And and that wasn't the case just, you know, five or six years ago. So. No, not at all. And today we wanted to cover insurance coverage or even financing infertility specifically. And, you know, just to go back to how things have changed even there. So when I started my journey, I, I ended up, I'm not kidding you, between my husband and I at the time, chasing jobs to get coverage. Wow. And it would be that call a friend who happened to work at the company to see if they could tell me what coverage they had. And if they weren't sure calling HR to say, how can I have a conversation without divulging my medical history to get an understanding of whether I should keep my husband's insurance or go to my new insurance. Should I take this job or not? Should we move to Massachusetts or not? I mean, it was insane. And then when the insurance coverage happened, it was frustrating because it would be things like, you must do three IUIs before you can do an IVF, even though medically everyone knew an IUI was a waste of time. So here I went aging 
with my eggs, knowing that I had to do this treatment that didn't work in order to deal with insurance coverage. And now there's organizations like Carrot and Progeny, and then there's companies that are helping with financing fertility treatments. You all have been working. I went to Albany with you in a couple of years ago to help make sure that we can get coverage in New York state and you've been doing it state by state. So, so much has been changing. I actually took a look at the website to see where you are on the stats. So congratulations on four more states since I last, uh, um, she last looked. You yeah, you yep. glanced away and we got four more states. I yeah. know. And that's, and, and some of you may say only four states. Okay, folks, <laughs> that is a lot because the slog that it takes. And by the way, I commend you for how you do the advocacy work, the way you prepare us oh, and good. give us the talking points. Yeah. And it's a bonding experience. We make friends with the women. So anyone who's even struggling with this, I can't tell you how much it helps in your journey to also give so that it's not oh, so much yeah. of the struggle. And so I think that was really what, um, what saved me as well. So you've, you've done a lot of, of work. And so you clearly understand this space. So talk to us about, you know, I want to dive more into what people can do to navigate, but maybe just at a high level, if you can share what the landscape is like today, when it comes to coverage, at the state level or at a company, should you be fortunate enough to have a company that gives you insurance coverage, fertility or not? Um, so tell us what that is like right now. Yeah, I'm, I'm gonna try and break this down as simply as I can and as quickly as I can. Kind of think about insurance in the US in three buckets. The first bucket is gonna be um, insurance that's provided by the, by the government. So this is gonna be, maybe you're in the military, you're a veteran, you're a federal employee, you're gonna get your health insurance from the federal government. The only way that we're gonna get IVF, fertility preservation and other things covered is to go to Congress and to advocate for it. If we want the 9 million covered lives of our military to have access to IVF and all the family building options, which they don't now, we need to advocate and go to Congress. Federal employees, again, about nine or 10 million people, you know, that's the biggest employer in the, in the country. So that's the first bucket. And, and we've got to go to Congress to make change happen for those, those folks. The second is when you flip to private insurance. And this is going to be um, health insurance provided by your employer. Health insurance in the private market is delivered in two ways. It's either self-insured or the third bucket, which is called fully insured. Self-insured, those are generally larger companies. For sure, a thousand or more employees, sometimes maybe even 500 or more employees. And the company decides what their benefits are going to look like. It doesn't matter what state mandate. It doesn't matter what state you live in, where the company's based. They don't have to follow any state mandate. So they are going to make decisions. The executives of that company are going to make decisions best for that company. And, you know, they're going to care what, what their employees um, say. So we'll come back to that. The third bucket is, again, private insurance from your employer. But these are companies that are under those state mandates. So these are companies that we call are fully insured. They have to follow a state mandate. You're gonna find these are companies, again, probably less than 500 employees. Um, they still could be considered a big company, but they're, they're fully insured. They have to take insurance that's provided in their state and those 
laws make a big difference because those state mandates say to insurance companies, hey, every single policy that you deliver in this state has to have an infertility benefit that looks like this, right? So we do have an ability in all three of those buckets to impact how coverage is delivered, but each one is different. It's a different strategy. It's a different tactic. It's a different message. And so you have to think about it in those three buckets. Honestly, at Resolve, we're trying to do all three. We're not putting all of our, you know, as they say, eggs in one basket. We're not just doing state mandates. We're not just doing Congress, but we have to do all three. And this is where everybody's story comes into play because uh, as it turns out, we all have the ability to impact each of those. And that's what's so amazing. I mean, you may just have heard me say all this and you're thinking, okay, this is too confusing. I don't know what my employer is. Don't care. I don't care. You can still make a big difference. And this is what I get goosebumps actually just telling you this. This is where the cool part of my job is. We get to hear people call us, email us, text us, whatever. And they're like, oh my gosh, I just did what you guys have been asking me to do. And we saw this change happen. And we've had one employee at these big companies go and ask for IVF coverage. And they, they add it. One. This isn't like thousands of employees asking. It's one. So, um, so anyway, it's, it's exciting to see we at Resolve have to ensure that we have the tools and the training and um, what you all will need to influence each of those three buckets. You can do all three. Uh, you can do just one, but they're very different and um, we're trying to master them all. So what would you advise that women do to play their part? Because I saw, I've, one of the things I'm seeing, which is wonderful, is on your website, I'm seeing it at companies like even Carrot and others who are getting into this space. You all have things like, I am an employee. I am an employer. And there are guides. So, you know, if, if you are an employee, what is it that you can do to go to your employer? So maybe we can start with that one, um, Great. because Great. I think there's so much education that has to be done. So, you know, in a, in a simple way, like what can people do and what are the tools and resources or nuances that are important? And I do want you to address the question that probably comes up a lot. And I remember you had data on this, which is it's too expensive. Okay. So love that. So first of all, if you are, if, if we're going to ask you to raise your voice and to make change happen, we better give you the tools and the support and training to do that. So when we talk about um, going to your employer, we have a coverage at work program. We have a toolkit for employers and employees. You reference that they're very, they're totally different toolkits. So you as an employee, you want to make some change at your company download the toolkit. You're, um, you're going to get um, talking points. You're going to get a sample letter that you can send. You could send it anonymously. You're going to get some facts and figures. You're going to get um, data that you can bring to your HR folks. So you don't have to do all the research. You don't have to figure this all out. We've done it for you. Um, we've got a white paper. We've got infographics. We've got a lot of, a lot of great resources. And then you're tapped into our system. Guess what? We have a staff person who can talk to you. 
We have a Facebook group that you can join. We have ways, I mean, our staff person who manages this, she gets to talk to people every day and then she's mentoring them, she's coaching them. Okay, you had your meeting with HR, how did it go? Oh, they asked for this, all right, let's do this. So she's, uh, she's there, but we're also connecting people with, with, with other folks in the country who've already done this. So we have this, like I said, this Facebook group. So we have a lot of ways um, to support you so that you're not like left out there hanging. And then, you know, if the employer is like, oh, an employee asked for this, let me do some more research. They can go to our website. They can download the employer toolkit. We've got some different resources there. We did a survey of employees and how they view their employer when they offer coverage and when they don't offer coverage. Employees care. You know, employers care about what their employees say and, and how, um, how they're viewing them as a, as a good employer, as a family-friendly place to work. So we're going to provide those facts and figures with the employer as well. So it's a, it's a great tool. It's a great resource. I say to people, and I'm very transparent about this, Resolve doesn't have the resources, financial or otherwise, to call up the C-suite of every company, Fortune 500 or other in this country, and go, hi, you need to add benefits, and we've got this whole thing we're going to share with you. What we're going to do is we're going to arm the employees, and we're going to say, go, <laughs> go out and do your thing, and, and uh and advocate, and some people are scared and they, they wanna be anonymous, great, you can do that. But you know, when you talk to HR, it's anonymous. It's not, your boss doesn't have to know and doesn't know. You know, I'm reminded now that uh, I need to go do this with um, a specific employer. So I will, I will add it to my list of things to do because your toolkits are amazing. I mean, as someone who's done advocacy work for you in, in multiple different venues, I mean, it is, top-notch tools. I come from a training background. And uh, so I, I am completely impressed with, awesome. uh, with awesome. what you've well, done. You know, Every we, event we, has been amazing. It's scary. And, and we want to make it as approachable as possible for, for anyone. And it, it's funny, Georgie, because we took our years of experience in training people to advocate to their state legislators and coming to Washington and just said, wait a minute, how about if we arm them with, with what they need with their employer and use the same kind of strategies that we've used for years and years and years? And it wasn't rocket science, but we just had to pivot to this different audience. And, um, and that's what we've done. And my gosh, the results have been phenomenal. So do address the question just, you know, in case, because it is such a barrier and yeah. I think it's a surface barrier. Like when I came from sales, I was always trained. If someone says it's too expensive, it's really, they don't believe in the product. So let's, let's overcome that objection right here and right now. So yeah. the employer and employee are motivated to go look at the website. So talk to us about that initial potential objection, which I assume is uh, frequent um, about coverage is expensive. So honestly, we, um, we look at data. We, it isn't an emotional um, question or answer. It's, it's pure data. So we have, we have data from employers who've added um, this benefit it, as part of that toolkit. There's a white paper. It quotes several um, employers on their own experience. We're going to have more data coming out this spring looking at uh, the experience of, of hundreds of companies and, and what they have experienced in, in terms of costs. All of these, um, you talked about the state mandates that, that have passed in the last few years, 
most states require some sort of cost study. So it's been really cool because we've been getting all this, what I would call free data, where these states are having to pay for these cost studies. We've paid for some of them, but some of them are required by state governments. And we have gotten some really fantastic data as well. The state of Massachusetts has had their infertility mandate, gosh, 30 years, over 30 years. By law, every couple of years, two or three years, the state has to do a cost analysis of all of its mandates. We have all of that data. So what we've done is we've looked at all of this publicly available data. We've looked at the data we get in our own um, research, and it does not add significantly to any insurance coverage. We had one employer, um, I, I believe it was Black and Decker in Maryland, and they said, this was not even a rounding error. Adding this coverage was the right thing to do and it absolutely did not increase our, our premiums. So, but we have to get that word out. You, we have to get that word out strongly and we need people to feel comfortable when they are going and asking for this, that they have real data that shows this and we have that. And so we don't want anyone to feel uncomfortable or feel like they have to make an emotional ask this is the right thing to do, and this is uh, not cost prohibitive in any way, shape, or form. Would you say that that is the case for smaller companies as well, or is it less of a, as a tiny of a rounding error? So in smaller companies, chances are they're not going to be self-insured, and so they're going to be under a state mandate. So we have to design and advocate for really strong mandates that make sense Got it. and that are, that are effective for those, um, those employees. One of the things that we've seen, and, and you live in New York, you may have experienced this, but it's sort of this push and pull where you have large companies who want to be leaders, like take the financial sector, banking, they're competing with other banks. They need to attract talent. And so if they find out Bank of America, I'm just using that as an example, has really great infertility benefits and they want to attract women and they want to attract, be family friendly and they want to be competitive, Wells Fargo and all the other banks are, are going to have to step up. Other thing we see is that when a state has a state mandate, now you have part of the workforce that is used to this benefit and that expects this benefit. When people in that workforce go to look for other jobs, that's going to be a very important benefit to them. They may choose to go work for an employer in a competitive work environment because they have these benefits because now they're in a mandated state and they've worked for an employer that was required to cover it. So there's a lot of push and pull. The, you know, I would love to know what the tipping point is going to be, like when... When is it going to be like, all right, we're all in, you know, but it's that kind of slog that we're on right now. And I feel like every time we pass, uh, we get a state to pass a mandate, it's going to raise the bar, even for those self-insured employers that aren't under the mandate, um, because now they're going to be like, gosh, you know, a third of our workforce in this state or a quarter of our workforce or half of our workforce has access to this. This is going to be, um, this is going to be important for us to have. So, you know, I, I want to see it competitive. Another couple of areas that we've seen, interestingly enough, everyone always says, oh, high tech, financial services, they can afford it. We've seen um, academic institutions. So we've seen universities, very competitive, wanting to add this. Can you imagine they want to attract women who have their PhDs to teach and study and research? 
and and what they're not going to offer this so it's kind of cool to see like oh big 10 you know all the schools in the big 10 are competing with each other and then we've seen municipalities like we've seen the city of pittsburgh we've seen the city of portland oregon as employers again self-insured you know they have the police the firemen all the city employees they're adding this and so it's really cool to see different industry sectors latch on to the importance of this. No, that's so great to see. And your website, you all update the status. How often are you updating it? Because I know you don't have a staff of 50,000 people who are <laughs> updating things every five minutes like they do in tech with algorithms. Would you say yours is the latest or is it fairly? Yeah, I mean, like how frequently are you guys updating? We have people who every, you know, we, we have a small staff. Okay, we've got nine people. So yep. let's, let's, let's cut to the chase here. So every time we get a win, we, we want to add it to our totals. We want to um, put it on there. We want, we want our site, our website to be the most comprehensive and correct place where you can go to get this information. I'm not saying there aren't other good sites, but that's our goal at Resolve. So it's really important for us like, oh, hey, we passed that or oh, we, we, hey, we heard this employer added coverage. Let's update our numbers and put that data out there. So we do it as best we can. I'll tell you though, we post every state bill that's impacting our field. We are the only place in the country, in the world where you can go and and see every single state bill. This isn't just IVF coverage. This could be personhood or this could be a really bad bill. We're going to post it and have information about, you know, a link to the bill, does Resolve support it or not. But I hear from a lot of other organizations who are like, yeah, I come to your site and I check out like where all the personhood bills are, you know, what's going on with this. So we, we take that very seriously. And that, that has to be, that's updated daily. So you're advocating for IVF coverage, surrogacy, as well as fertility preservation. And I just want to call that out because there's a lot of nuances here as far as we should definitely celebrate the changes in each of the states and each of the companies that are adding, but I think it's really important for those who are struggling with infertility and trying to figure out how to pay for it to really understand what that coverage means. So can you maybe share some watchouts or key things that people should look for? And I say this also because, you know, I know that on average it takes I think the numbers are around 2.3 to 2.6 IVFs to successfully get pregnant. You know, in my case, it took four years. And so I know I'm not the typical person, but you know, it's, it's a very long journey. And I think it's important to really plan and understand kind of all the finances of it and the, and the different ways. So I do want to understand your tips for how to better understand your coverage and what to plan for, and then how those financing companies that are coming up can help play a role either to supplement the insurance or be a substitute for if you aren't getting the coverage. Having said all that I've said about the estate mandates and employers adding, there's no, I mean, they're all over the place in terms of what the coverage looks like. Resolve has a model benefit for employers. We also have model legislation but that doesn't always end up being what, what people get. And so um, while we start with recommending the best, and these are evidence-based benefits reviewed by physicians, attorneys, you know, everybody, 
cast a very wide net to try and get everybody's opinion before we put these out. It's not always how it ends up. You know, they talk about legislation being sausage making and it's pretty ugly while it's being made. And but when it comes out, you know, it may, you may not know what it looks like. So you're left with having to deal with what um, your employer might be offering or what a state mandate might look like. I would just start by saying if if your benefit has a dollar cap, for example, let's say your employer has said, hey, you got $10,000 or $20,000. I remember, you know, we used to think that employers that offered like twenty or thirty thousand dollars, wow, they're generous. That's not generous because you and I both know that barely covers, you know, one and a half cycles even. And so you run out, you run out. And so if you are at an employer that has that dollar cap, you have an opportunity to try and get them to change that. And and we have data that shows why that is not a good benefit design, especially for infertility. But there's also ways that you can maximize while you're still under that kind of plan, your benefits. In other words, you know, maybe you don't get all your drugs spending your money through that way and you get your drugs through a discount program, through a specialty pharmacy and you pay for it out of pocket, but at a much reduced price. And then you use that 10 or $20,000 for all your medical costs. So there's ways that, that you can manage even a, a somewhat restrictive benefit to, to try and maximize it for yourself. When you're looking at a benefit design that has the number of cycles, got to make sure that you understand, are these fresh cycles? Are these frozen cycles? If I do a cycle and it gets canceled, does that count as a cycle? Or is it when I go through everything and I actually have embryos transferred? So those are some questions to keep in mind because you may, you may find out without asking, you might think, oh, I'm, I'm, you know, my definition of a cycle is this. And of course it would be that. And it's not. And insurance companies have, <laughs> let me tell you, they have some really interesting ways that they define an IVF cycle that is not even medically sound. When we talk about fertility preservation, Resolve is advocating for insurance coverage right now. We're advocating for insurance coverage for people that have a medical condition that's going to cause their infertility. So this is freezing eggs and sperm, maybe before a cancer treatment or before, uh, you know, have endometriosis surgery or be sick, you know, any kind of drug or hormonal thing that you might have to start taking. And they're like, eh, this might impact your future or you have surgery. A lot of people have had surgery for fibroids or for endometriosis or even their appendix out. And it's like, wait a minute, if, is this going to mess with anything um, in their reproductive system? Then let's do fertility preservation in advance and have that covered by insurance. So again, there's always nuances with that, but those are the kinds of ways that um, you're going to see benefits designed. You're going to have, um, you're going to, I would just ask a lot of questions of your, both your provider, that's your healthcare provider and your insurance carrier. And look, use your HR department. If things are not making sense, go ask and say, I need help. I need help understanding this benefit that we are receiving at this company because it's not making sense. One, you're going to get an ally, but two, your employer now is going to see, huh, maybe this benefit isn't so great, and how can we change it? Now, you mentioned some of these um, third-party payers. This is, infertility is not the only 
health condition where you see third-party payers, but we do have certainly uh, quite a few different companies. And when I say third-party payers, this is just a really awesome way for a company to get coverage if they're self-insured or fully insured. But let's say you're self-insured and you design your benefit, but you want to offer a really nice IVF benefit. You might go to one of these third-party payers and they're going to have counseling. They're going to have the coverage for the medication. They're going to have, you know, a nurse on call. You know, as an employer, you're going to be like, oh, thank goodness. You know, I'm providing a lot of other resources for my employees. You know, Resolve isn't tied. I'm not promoting any one of these companies, but that's what they do. And they fit in nicely with, in our, in our particular field, there are some states where the the insurance that's provided, um, maybe it's a state that doesn't have a mandate, the insurance that's provided is really crappy from um, insurance companies. And so going to one of these third-party payers is is a nice alternative. Yeah, it's really interesting. I don't know how it is now because um, I haven't run into many women who are in companies that do that. And I did run into one a couple of years ago. And the way she explained it to me is her prescription coverage was through the the prescription company that her insurance company works through. But then this other third party, it would be like calling that company. It was just their company kind of added it on. And so it's almost like there's three buckets. It didn't seem like it was stressful or annoying to navigate, but just how it played out it was three different places. And it's really only one additional because you're already having to go to your pharmacy benefit manager, like express scripts or whatever to get your prescription. So that was nothing different. This is just like another number to call, but it seems to be great. Yeah. And some people it's for some companies, not some people, some companies it's all bundled together. Some, they, they break it up. This is again, these third-party payers if you're not in this field, this sounds really odd and weird. And you're like, wait a minute, but it's really common in other health conditions as well. There are third-party payers for actually obstetrics is one of them, you know, psychiatry. So there's different, there's different medical conditions where this turns out to be an alternative that employers have that want to provide this benefit. So then what about the I guess, I don't know what we want to call the, that part of the industry is like loans that are specific to fertility. So that's another way and grants. Um, so I know your website has the whole list. So for those who are looking on how in the world am I going to pay for this? I think Barb has laid out a lot of nuances around questions to ask. And I think it's not just related to what your insurance is going to cover, but honestly, like I've talked to some of these folks who deal with, uh, you know, helping figure out how to finance fertility treatments. And one of the things is planning and all those nuances. Mm -hmm. Are you going to be doing frozen embryos and transferring those at another time? Are you going to bank them? Are you going to use fresh? Um, How many IVF cycles will you, I mean, there's so many nuances. It is unbelievable. So you have to plan. And so, you know, what are some of these other, if you want to just run through the list quickly of other alternatives that those of us who need the financial support can look into. Yeah. So let's, we've done all the insurance and you're still at a dead end. None of, none of that's going to get covered. Let's, let's just say that's where you are. So there are, again, talk to your healthcare provider. They're going to be able to offer you um, information about some of these companies. 
these are loans. So you can go down to your local bank and get a loan. You can refine, if you own a home, you can refinance a home. You can also take out loans for specialty medical conditions and IVF and surrogacy are, are, are two of them that there's a business out there, businesses out there that do that. Um, you can find those online. Um, some of them are listed on our website. You can ask your healthcare provider. This is going to be a loan. You're going to have to pay it back. Um, they're going to look at your finances. They're going to look at your risk. They're going to come up with what your interest rate's going to be, the terms. Are you paying this back over five years or five, 10 years, whatever the case may be? And then that money generally goes to the healthcare provider. So it's going to be money right into the pocket of your doctor, and that's to cover your medical costs. So it's not um, necessarily something that, that you're going to be able to kind of get and decide. Now, some of the loans, you know, like if you go to your local bank, that's going to, that's going to come to you. But certainly financing is something uh, that is to be looked at. There's even a company out there doing financing and they've gotten really creative and you can have a, maybe a, a parent, like I always say, those hopeful grandparents help co-sign the loan. They're going to allow that. Um, a brother or a sister, they're going to allow that. So you might have situations where you don't have even the ability to really, uh, you know, get a loan. But if you have one of these family members uh, co-sign, it works. So that's pretty, that's pretty incredible. And then there are a, um, quite a few nonprofit organizations that are giving out financial grants. Some of them are faith-based. There's Jewish, there's Christian, there's, I think there's even a Mormon uh, organization. And then there are just organizations that are giving out grants. Um, some of them are even cover, helping to cover adoption costs, but um, they might be based in a certain geographic area or they're nationally based and they will have a um, specific process for you to apply. Um, they might have even certain times of the year where they're taking applications. Most of the really you know, legit organizations do have a really good process. They have an independent group of board members who are reviewing those applications and it's, you know, it's blinded. It's not like favoritism. And then um, they're able to award those grants. And this might be, you know, $20,000 and they might be able to help, you know, five or 10 or maybe more uh, families a year. So it's worth looking into and finding out about, and all of these are nonprofits. So they're raising money to try and give out more grants. So if that's uh, of interest to you from a, let's say you're a philanthropist and you, you, you know, there's all these organizations already doing it and have some great systems and, um, and you can support them. We don't give out any financial grants at Resolve. Um, that is not something that our organization has chosen to do. But as you said, we do list, as I, we like to say, the ones that are the ones that have like a board and have a process, you know, we list them all on our website for people um, to be able to find them really easily. It's something that everybody should look at the financing, the, the grants and finding out even through your healthcare provider, do the pharmaceutical companies have any um, discount programs? Cause they do. And how do you qualify for those? No, absolutely. No, thank you for, for sharing all of this. I think it's such a, a comprehensive list. And for, and for those listening, I don't want you to think this is overwhelming. I think 
it's fairly straightforward. The decisions are hard because they can be emotional, but the upfront planning really helps ease the process. And the way you lay out the information, it's clear. I don't think it's overwhelming at all. Um, I think on on first glance, it may feel that way. I guess I've been through for four years, so I, I know, but given how overwhelming it is, the way that you're able to communicate the information, I think is incredibly helpful. And I I do encourage folks, um, either if they're already through the process or about to start to really check out all of this information and do plan out those finances, because as myself too, I didn't know how long it was going to take. And one thing I would also advise is you can change your mind on your path throughout the path, like you could say, okay, we're going to spend this much or do this many cycles and you get to that cycle. And then it's another decision point, but it's, it's a hard journey and, and preparing, you know, all the families who have to go through the very challenging experience and decisions, you know, thank you for, for that. Any other high level things you would like have the listeners understand about resolve that we haven't talked about? It's not so much about resolve. It's about yourself. It's about your ability to change and, and make change happen. This is what I say to people all the time. Are you satisfied with the status quo? Are you satisfied with the status quo? If your answer is no, then raise your voice. I think there's power in numbers. So I'd prefer that you join with us, but raise your voice, find a way to make change happen Look, I get it that we've been around a long time and we don't have coverage in all 50 states. You mentioned, you know, somebody saying to you, well, that's all there is. That's all the states. And each one of those, oh my gosh. I know. And, you know, we are not a well-funded philanthropic field and Resolve is, you know, about one, one and a half, maybe $2 million. We, we should be like a $10 million organization. And if we want to see us working in states like four or five states a year, it's going to take a lot more, a lot more effort, a lot more funding, a lot more people raising their voices. So um, this isn't about fundraising. I'm not trying to ask people for money, but that's the reality. Money is able to, to make us any field grow and do more. And we just have such limited, you know, this is people talk about the fertility space being, you know, having so much money and that's just not what we see on the philanthropic side. So that's a big challenge. And if we continue to be funded as we are, then we'll probably be able to try and do like one a year, you know, working in really well in one state a year. Um, if that's not satisfactory to you, then help us. Help us um, change the status quo. And that's what motivates me every day. The status quo still stinks for people with infertility. That's how I view it. And until we can say that uh, the status quo is actually pretty darn good, then, uh, you know, we can stop, we can stop doing this, but that's, that's what keeps us going. So don't ever feel that your voice doesn't matter. Don't ever feel that you can't make change happen and join with us. I, I always enjoy getting the emails of what's going on the latest. And when I'm able to, I jump right in. And uh, well, we have our virtual yeah. federal advocacy day this year, uh, 2021. It'll be June 17th. You can phone in from anywhere. Okay. Um, and we're hoping for a lot of people. Last year, we had an amazing group, all 50 states. And um, it's a new Congress. We have new people to educate. Uh, there's a lot of excitement for our issues. Gosh. Oh, is, I wish I could be in really, DC on those steps. Well, you, you don't have, yeah, we, none of us are going to be in DC. So, so 
let's take advantage of this. No barriers. You know, you don't need to get on a plane. You don't need to have any money for travel. You can do this. If you have a phone, you're in. And okay. we will, like I said, we, you know, we'll train you and it'll be fun and uh, it'll be impactful. Oh my gosh. I'm, I'm excited. I, I truly, truly enjoy doing it. Like when I, when I, 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 you know, the Albany trip I did in one day, I drove three hours. I attended the event. I drove three hours home That's and it awesome. was a, the best. I, I mean, it was great. It's so motivating to make a difference. Empowering. Yeah. Absolutely. You feel good afterwards. You feel oh, good. Absolutely. Afterwards. Absolutely. So the last question I always like to ask my guests is what is your greatest hope for women's health? Mm. My greatest hope for women's health is that it's treated seriously and that women are given the access that they need and that they want. You know, there's so much, yeah, I just focused on infertility, but there's so much about women's health where we go for so long without a diagnosis of fibroids, of endometriosis, of PCOS and, you know, chronic pain. And I just don't understand it. I don't understand how we've gotten this place in this, uh, in this country. So my hope is that uh, it's women's health is treated very seriously and women are given what they need and want. No, thank you for saying that. And, you know, it's funny when I started out my journey on how I can support women's health, I started out with infertility because that's what I knew. And I had an aha moment about a year and a half ago. And I was like, hold on a minute. If you're not treating the root cause, you can do as many fertility treatments as you want and hold on a minute no one knows anything about women's health. Like we're, we don't have enough clinical trials. There's so much lack of knowledge. And so that's why I expanded and went into this podcast and just started interviewing experts. And it is unbelievable. In every single episode, what I learned, <laughs> how so do we cool. not know this when we're little that's about so cool. our bodies? Thank you so much. And I'm looking forward to the April 20th conference. Absolutely. So excited for it. And looks like a great program. Thank you for having me as a guest. Great to connect with you again. Just let's stay, let's stay in touch and do everything we can to help this community. Absolutely.